0: This is the DLR cast, the essential podcast for fans of Diamond David Lee Roth. All right, folks. Once again, you've got the only podcast by and for fans of the Diamond One, Diamond David Lee Roth. This is the DLR cast. As always, I'm Steve, along with my good friend, the debonair, the often dangerous Darren Paltrowitz. Darren, how you doing, sir?
1: Debonair, dangerous. I, I think difficult is more like it when it comes to the D words. Difficult, <laughs> defiant. You know, trouble with authority, just like Diamond David Lee Roth,
0: right? Exactly. Well, no no surprise I'm already stumbling my words here because I'm trying to get a handle on the news this week. And if you're a fan listening to this show, which I'm assuming you are, you know (laughs) – you unless you just i just stumbled upon your show you know the news and that is this week that uh, that broke it started it started uh, last week when yeah. former metallica bassist jason Newstead, of all people i should say spilled the beans on a tribute tour van halen tribute tour and since then joe satriani weighed in on it in an interview saying yes we've been in discussions with this along with alex van halen and david lee roth to which i think i'm wondering if you this is the first we've talked about this i'm wondering if you had the same reaction i did and that was what the fuck
1: yeah well then the dave response to it all is is
0: double what the fuck
1: (laughs) (laughs) triple but so the first thing i want to hear if you had the same thing that i do the first one of Newstead coming out, one of our great listeners, Eric, he sent it to me and I went, absolutely what? not possible. Why would they want Jason Newstead? He's not a singing bass player. Like, come on. This is Jason Newstead making himself sound important. This is a rumor that he's propagating. Did you have that or am I crazy?
0: Uh, no. And you and I I think we discussed this, if I can't remember if it was the last episode or certainly offline when we talked about it. I'm. Pre- I think we were texting. I went why and let me preface this by saying this is no knock on jason newstead a very talented basis but i think any one of us can make a short list of easily 10 other base players oh i don't know starting with one who's got the last name of van halen the other one starting with the last name of michael anthony who by the way played with joe satriani in chicken foot i think we can name easily eight other base players from there before we ever got to jason newstead and again this is no knock on jason newstead whatsoever I, it's just a mystery, mystery to me. He re, he, apparently, he flew to Los Angeles to jam with, quote, the other musicians. Did he jam with Alex and Joe? Did he jam with Dave? I doubt Dave was a part of this. Right. <laughs> he tends to never, he never tends to not really do any of the singing until closer to the actual show dates. But there's been apparently no one has come forth, no promoters, no management, nobody's come forth to say that they've even started talking about booking anything. Yeah, I don't even know what else to say from there at this moment. Well, I'm very you surprised.
1: Said, you said if there was pick number one on base, it'd be Wolfie, pick number two, obviously Michael Anthony, pick number three, obviously Billy Sheehan.
0: That was the third one, yes. Yeah,
1: like why would it not be one of those three bases? Now Newstead, you know, respect to him for his like twelve years or so in Metallica at their commercial peak. After Metallica, he played with Ozzy for a bit. He had Echo Brain. He has his right band that he's doing. Respect to Jason Newstead.
0: Yeah, but not a singing bass player.
1: Not. I mean, uh, if you count shouting backing vocals in Metallica.
0: Not singing in the sense of what those Van Halen songs need on backing vocals.
1: Right. It, like, it, if you just visualize in your head, visualize in your head, what am I talking about? Like, <laughs> any Van Halen chorus and the higher register vocals, that does not come out of Jason Newstead's throat. It's, it's not what you hear. So... You know, again, Sheehan, Anthony, Wolfie, perfect picks right there. Uh, Jack Blades is a better pick.
0: Jack Blades, very good. And here's something interesting, too. I got to thinking about who's missing from this. And this might be the first time in a long time where you heard syllables that started with V and ended with N that uh, nobody got a quote from Sammy Hagar is he would he be a part of this i'm assuming how do you do a tribute with without both if you're going to make it because it's quote a tribute the other thing put a pin in this on a side note is the bigger question is why why are you doing this tribute and unless the, to to my mind the only reason why the only way this does not look like a cash grab is if it isn't a cash grab in other words Get proceeds going to Mr. Holland's opus of which yeah. apparently Eddie left a big, a very nice big donation to, uh, po- I guess, in uh, I'm assuming in the will or, or trust or whatever. So and he's always been involved in that. Or how about a cancer charity?
1: Yeah, I this is my hunch. And I don't think for a second this tour is happening. And I'll, I'll oh, no, I, I would love it to happen. I would love nothing more to, than to see Roth and or Alex Van Halen live. But. We can we can put a pin on that, but it just does not make any sense except for it's either a cash grab, which I don't think any but any of the parties involved need that. I think it's more of a uh, you know how Irving Azoff has his VC firm or whatever you want to call it that buys up names and likenesses and does legacy management. Or is this something you're not in the loops? I've
0: got I got an idea of what you're talking about. Yeah.
1: So he bought up the Beach Boys. Now, I don't know if it's actually his money or if he's just like leading up. What, what do you call it? A fund, a uh, an incubator. What's it called when one guy goes, hey, let me direct all your money. Uh, and then it's going to be my name out front that I bought it. Can you, do you know what I'm talking about?
0: Yeah, I think so. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So the way that there's primary wave and BMG and Mercuritis, the way that they've been right buying up stuff, Irving bought up the Beach Boys. My hunch would be that this is a brand relaunch so that they could then sell a bunch of t shirts to Old Navy and all that kind of stuff. That's the only thing I could think of because ACDC and Metallica, Def Leppard, Motley Crue, et cetera, they're all doing that, that uh, part of the game with, you know, kid. You go to the shopping mall and you see teenagers wearing the shirts of bands they don't even like. That right. face of it all.
0: Right. More mysteries here, and we're going to get to Dave's response, which is shocking that he responded to it this quickly because this is the—he hasn't posted since March 10th yeah. on social media. It took forever to get any sort of real details about anything outside of Vegas, baby. I mean, around <laughs> right. I mean, with the cancellation, everything else. Um, but again, it's you know, if you read Satriani's full quote, of which LouderSound.com and a few other ones. Uh, the usual suspects ran with it. I can't remember I th- uh, where it showed That's up first.
1: An ultimate classic rock. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So, but Satriani, who by the way played in Chickenfoot with Sammy, yeah. is good friends with Sammy, Bay Area guys, right? Uh, although, well, currently well, I, Long Sa- Island
1: guy. Satri-
0: yeah, true Satriani is from <laughs> right, but. um I'm just thinking, why do I think Satriani has spent a lot of years in the Bay Area since leaving Long Island? I thought he went West Coast. Anyway.
1: And he gave guitar lessons to young Kirk Hammett. That's right.
0: That's how I know that. Okay. I Primus. Exactly. Okay. So it's this lengthy quote. Sammy's not mentioned at all. Michael's not mentioned at all. In fact, Joe says, I've been talking with Alex and Dave for about a year about doing something, which how in the world does this take a freaking year? I mean, first off, uh, to uh, that's a lot of talking, or very, or intermittent talking, I would imagine. Uh, but a true, uh, say, a tour, something like that, that was going to be a true tribute to Eddie and the Van Halen legacy. Well, then, even yeah. though this is a DLR, cast, Let's be frank. and Let's be fair. You have to include Sammy on this thing.
1: Absolutely, you do. Uh, there's so many reasons why that would make sense. First of all. Because Sammy's still performing at a pretty high level. He brings a different fan base than Roth. It's not the same fan base. If you go into these Facebook hated wars where they're calling them spammy and all
0: these yeah. calls,
1: it it is totally a different fan base. It doesn't seem like the average Van Halen fan really thrives on both of those errors. There
0: in. is some. There is some crossover, I think, and I think if this is your only chance to hear those songs, and you have both leads, I don't think anybody. I know I wouldn't, but why would you go? Oh, I'm not going to. I mean, they went to the best of both worlds tours, mm-hmm. tour right. So why would you, if you want to hear those Van Halen songs, why would you go? Eh, I'm not going to go because Dave's on the bill. It's not Sammy. It's not Sammy for two hours. <laughs> yeah,
1: it would also help the draw because let's let's talk a, a little out of school here. Uh, to use that bad expression, the 2004 Van Halen tour with Hagar, that was terrible in terms of ticket sales. Live Nation lost a fortune on those shows. No one talks about that. The 07 tour with Roth, it did really well, but the did future, fantastic. The future tours did not. Did
0: just, did okay. They might have got to the point where they were wearing out, even though there was a lot of time between. You had what 2005. You had uh, 2007 was reunion they toured for what nearly about a year and a half didn't primarily only North America, I think. Right. I don't think it ever made out of the U S then 2012 was a different kind of truth. And then 2015. So, I mean, they really didn't oversaturate the market a la Kiss and a dozen other bands you could probably name, given five more minutes here. And let me uh, pause for one second. I want to make sure we give credit to credit is due where this Joe Satriani quotes originally came from uh, yeah. before everybody else picked up. it was um, He was on an interview with a very cool podcast, Rock of Nations with Dave Kinchin podcast, mm-hmm. promoting his new solo album, uh, The Elephants of Mars. So let's segue over to. Well. Finish your thoughts there, but we have to segue uh, over to what the hell Dave uh, was talking about.
1: My thought is the 04 tour with Sammy, notoriously, because I was still very active in the music industry then. There were tours that I was working around that got canceled because Live Nation was, or Clear Channel then, was losing so much money on the Van Halen tour that summer and the Aerosmith tour. Then, you know, the the 07 thing with Dave, gangbusters. And then 12 and 15, kind of... It could have done better. And then these Roth shows in 2020 that did happen really were not sold out. That is not that venue holds under 2,500. It might hold under 2,000. Those were not sold out. And uh, the the Hagar shows in Vegas. Mm, I saw one of them. They might call it sold out. It was not sold out. You could you could frilly walk. You could see empty seats, etc. So what I'm getting at is if they just say, this is the Roth tour, uh, it's not gonna sell so hot. Those kiss dates that Roth was on, it's not like Roth was bringing 7,000 people a night. They kind of need all these parts for the quality. They need it for the commercial sales. Without all of it, the critics are gonna hate it, in my opinion, even if critics tend to s- skew more towards Dave than Sammy. You you'll have the people going, geez, Eddie died, and they still couldn't get it together.
0: Yeah, true, exactly. Uh, I was just I wanted to segue to Dave's to to Dave's quote here. Yeah, uh, and in full, might as well uh, read in full here if I can find it, or you might have it before I did. I had it a second ago. Um, but he basically said, uh, in my mind, the age of COVID is going to require two of us for every position, Satriani, Lukather, Anthony, Newstead, Alex, or Tommy Lee, and then mentioning that he thought Pink would be, would be a great vocalist for this whole thing. Okay, so here again, here's what's missing. Wolfgang, right? Okay. Yeah. Um uh, was Lukather just a complete train of thought? Was he listening to Africa by Toto right before this? However, Lukather and Van Eddy were great friends and Lukather is a hell of a shredder.
1: Well, I, I got to cut, cut. He's a hell
0: of a shredder. guitarist. Lukather I love Lukather.
1: on one and a half Van Halen albums.
0: That's true. Yeah, 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 correct.
1: Doesn't realize that he's singing on, uh, uh, that song that sounds exactly like dance the night away from the Hagar era. Uh, Standing on top of the world. Yes. Lukather's on that. And then the
0: on top of the world, yeah.
1: The three songs that they did for that 2004 best of both worlds, greatest hits, the three new songs with Sammy that Michael Anthony did not play on but sang on, Lukather sang on as well. So
0: good points. So a lot of people don't know that. Of course, he was great, best of friends with Eddie, Eddie too. So he, so Dave, one of the things I got, I actually love because I always thought, in the best case scenario, if there was going to be a tribute, that the coolest thing would be to have multiple people doing this. I, as much as I love Satriani, I'd love to see other guitarists have their take on it. Particularly one Steve Vai, add Steve Lukather in there, get some other guitar players Nuno. in there. Come on, who? Nuno. Oh, Nuno, of course, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So if you're going to make it a tribute, make it like a real big event. And maybe, you know, maybe not everybody can do the whole tour the whole time. If let's say this thing even does goes beyond just. A, a weekend's worth of dates or one big date in la let's say uh, but you know then to drop pink in there and um it was just <laughs> the well, I was shocked that he replied they replied so quickly and I've also yeah. especially as we've speculated so many different things as a lot of and a lot of people have too about the illness and different things like that um you know apparently he's been a okay because they've been if not rehearsing talking for a year well and certainly there was rehearsals at the end of 2021 before uh before the before the the vegas dates all got um all got kiboshed
1: yeah well the the pink comparison um i have a few thoughts of that
0: i think that would be cool by the way get some other vocalists jumping in there
1: Yes, uh, a few thoughts though, if you, if you don't mind, if I have not gone too way off the deep end here. Uh, first thing is, yes, Pink is super talented; she can sing. Long term success, great. But you know how, as you get older, the way that you visualize yourself is not the human being that everyone else sees. Right. In front of, them? I think that Dave Lee Roth in his head still thinks he's this like blonde guy that's twenty eight.
0: Yeah. And let and here's the here's the full quote. And let's let's give it up. Uh, here's the here's the full quote and give it up to our friends because it was delivered to our friends at the Van Halen News Desk, by the way. All all caps. Dave saying, in my mind, Van Halen 4K in the age of COVID is going to require two of us for every position, Satriani and Lukather, Anthony or Newstead, Al or Tommy Lee. Alex Van Halen or Tommy Lee. And then he says, probably the only Probably the only who could do my job today would be Pink. So caps caps lock is on. He furiously, you know, he he knocked this thing out real in in all about thirty seconds. I just yeah, Um,
1: Michael Starr from Steel Panther couldn't do it. Totally totally (laughs) right, Dave. (laughs) Who who is gonna uh, perform with Sheehan, Vi, and Bissonette at that bowling alley gig? Because Dave did not commit. It was going to be Michael Starr, Ralph, you know, Sands, whatever you want to call him from Steel Panther. I kind of think he could do it. I kind of think that a thousand people could do it. Now, will they be funny and doing splits? No, but a lot of people could do it. Kind of like when Brandy Carlisle guested with Soundgarden, people went, oh, is she the new singer of Soundgarden? Right. Yeah. People from both genders can do it.
0: Let's get back to Newstead for a minute, because Satriani said they've been talks been going on for about a year. Uh, Newstead said that that uh, he'd been asked six months ago to join a tribute tour featuring Alex Van Halen and Joe Satriani. And he's and Newstead said that he passed on the offer for fear that would be viewed as, quote, a money grab and that the plan had, quote, fizzled out anyway. So who approached him? Was it Satriani? And. Uh, let me put egg on my face too if this does happen because one i said it would never happen and two i said we will probably in all likelihood never see alex van halen drumming in public again i will happily have egg smear an egg all over my (laughs) face if that's the case but still i don't think we're any closer to this thing happening than we were before we knew the information that came out this past week
1: i'm with you the the only way that I could see this as being a cool thing that's not viewed as a money grab, besides the charitable element, is if it were a theater tour like a G3, which you always see John Petrucci, those kinds of shredders. Right. If if they did that kind of a tour, you could have an annual tour, and it doesn't matter if Dave and Alex are not.
0: Playing. But if you have those guys on it, you're not doing theaters.
1: No, then it becomes an arena tour, and then, the, then it's... Hey, it's a cash in. Whereas if it's a theater thing, it, it is cool. And it's something that can come out every year like a Ringo stars all star band right. or whatever Todd Rundgren Beatles thing happens, which, hey, I would love that if there were an official Van Halen tour every year with a rotating lineup of great people fantastic. Well,
0: if you're they're go- if you're going to kick this off later to go rotating cast of people, if you're going to kick it off, you got to do it real quick because at least two yeah. three of those participants are going to be too old to do, do this.
1: Too old, not that we think they're going to pass away tomorrow, but too old to be playing energetic, vibrant, soulful music.
0: Incredibly get it done. And I'll put Dave at the top of that list because we really don't know what shape his, vo- his voice is in sammy we know is still getting it done and let's assume alex is still getting it done but i mean no one's getting any younger as we as as that hackneyed overuse saying goes and particularly these guys i mean sammy 70 dave is what 68
1: yeah the the sammy show that i saw you know if if i wanted to be like really 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 harsh You would say, oh, we're starting to see the keys are two or three steps down. He's not doing dreams by Van Halen because that's obviously way too high. Things like that. But that's if you're being ultra, ultra picky over the whole thing.
0: As far as we know, it was only conversations. There's been no actual playing. No one one has gotten in a room together to play.
1: I would think that there has been playing. Um, somebody that I interviewed three or four months ago, who's friends with the Van Halens had said to me something along the lines of, and um, like, this is way off the record, but a drummer that's worked a lot with uh, David Lee Roth. I'm working on a project with him that I'm not allowed to talk about. And now with this news coming out, it's like, oh, okay. This, this has been going on for a while. And, Hmm. I guess you have to prove your secrecy. It's like professional wrestling and Van Halen are the two things, <laughs> yeah, where it's like, how good can you keep a secret? You can't, you're out of here. So there's all that. I again, I really hope it happens. I really hope that we're wrong. Some Van Halen is better than no Van Halen, even if it's Gary Sharon singing lead on everything i'll I'll go to it,
0: <laughs> so. What's the over under here? Do we hear anything about this in the next month or so? Or do we hear ever? Do we hear any? Is it going to be three to four months if we hear anything more about this or three to four weeks?
1: Oh, I give it three to four hours because Satriani's doing a media blitz. He's going to be asked about it.
0: Well, I mean, he's going to be asked about it, sure, but the answer is probably gonna be the same. I'm just saying is there gonna be any updates on this moving forward? Or is this thing just gonna kind of disappear? Hmm. Because uh, if because okay, if they talked about six months to a year ago, I would bet it hasn't been talked about with all those folks within six months. It wasn't. I don't think anybody talked. Those the people involved talked about this as recently as ninety days ago.
1: I definitely do. Uh, if you think Dave, so? If Dave and Alex are quote laughing like pirates, talking on the phone for two to three hours a day, they're talking about it, but. That doesn't mean that they don't have cold feet. I I think that we've kind of learned that Roth over rehearses and overthinks and second guesses every single thing. And at the same time, he makes a lot of rash, impulsive decisions, hence why he. It takes days to respond about the cancellation of the Vegas residency, but responds to the Joe Satriani thing to Van Halen news desk within
0: two hours. Right. Right. So, Maybe there's just some things that can't be ignored. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I, I think with everything with Roth, it's either he does it right now or not at all. True. True. So being that Irving Azoff is, as they say, the smartest man in the music business and
0: for good reason,
1: yeah somebody who is always five steps ahead of you who's to say that all the dates have not been held and everybody's sworn to secrecy and there's a contract clause if they leak it they have to pay another 100 percent of the fee <laughs> I, irving is the most connected man in the music industry with good reason so i think that if it's happening we'll find out through the press conference like one day before somebody who runs catering at that hall where the press conference is will leak it. And then we'll find out about it. I don't think that we'll find out about it four months in advance. That's if it happens. So I think if you really, really want to be an investigator on this, what you do is you keep checking the tour dates and announcements of Satriani and the other Pete and like Lukather and the other people that you think, would be involved. And if Steve Lukather has every concert dates every month for the next like seven months, it's not happening.
0: Good point. Also, here's a weird one. Do you check trademarks?
1: Oh, You know what? I was thinking of doing that. The question is, what was Roth's shell company? It was something like Ross the dog or uh, Rust the dog. Russ or the
0: dog. <laughs> and of course, and when you check a trademark, does it say when the trademark was first registered? Yes, Okay.
1: it has the date of filing and updates and what they're filing it for. But I guess, you know, if if I really have to do this, you figure out what the Van Halen shell corps that they've been using for the past few years of royalty collections are. A lot of bands, I don't know if this is getting too nerdy or inside baseball. (laughs) You've come uh, to
0: the right place,
1: folks. (laughs) But a lot of bands have, like, Three to ten different corporations And that's because certain corporations Are meant to make money and certain are meant To lose money and they use them as Pass-through so it's kind of like This is the one to get the royalties This is the one for the touring expenses This is the one for the merch So over the years you've seen Diamond Dave touring On a lot of copyright notices Um, Right What is the thing? Um, Laugh to Win You see that one It's something like Rust the Dog
0: Yeah (laughs) You see that one what was that?
1: Yeah, what was that? Inc is another one. Um, Diamond Eve Enterprises is another one, although that might be just a DBA. So if if you really want me to do this, post on social media and I'll 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 be a PI in my off time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. But, well on that note. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the interview this week, are we getting yes,
0: that another Yes, my ap- my apologies. I was looking for something pithy and witty to say as we bring you yet again another former member of the David Lee Roth band. This time DLR band uh or the I guess you can say the last most recent guitar player in Dave's band, correct? Jake Fawn.
1: Yeah, Jake is a unique one because the band that I saw in Vegas in January 2020 was not the band that you saw with
0: KISS in, in March March of 2020.
1: Yeah, because uh, he changed drummers. Mike Musselman was out. Francis Valentino was in. And then Frankie Lindia, who we had on a couple episodes ago, he had other obligations. He signed up just thinking, hey, there's these like five, six shows in Vegas and that's that. Not that there was the KISS tour. Right. So Jake Fawn came in. And I don't think the average person knew that Jake was there because the photos didn't have him in there. Um, He only did something like 15 shows before COVID uh, ended it. But in this interview, he talked about how long the touring was supposed to go for had COVID not happened, where he came from. Uh, uh, He tells a Steve Vai story about Vai coming backstage during the show on the KISS tour. And um since then he's been playing on stage for a winger uh rumors he might be a fill-in guitarist for red beach in the future wow wow rising guitar hero and then meanwhile frankie lindy i think we talked about in the last episode he's now with the atomic punks
0: yes i guess that's kind of somewhat coming full to half circle somewhere around there right
1: yeah, so uh, Jake has a lot of great videos on YouTube that are instructional and are like jams and improvisation. UK-born guy that lives in LA. I mentioned Winger already. You see him on stage performing with different people all the time.
0: Well, it's a good one. As always, you landed another good interview. We got some more. We got some more in the can, and I know you're working on some other ones.
1: Yeah, uh, I was gonna get uh, Dave's uh, mechanic on the next episode. I was gonna get <laughs> Dave's dentist on the on the one after that, and we're we're, we're working on um his shoe polish guy,
0: his personal uh, shopper. By the way, I was reminded of this too when I was when I was surprised to hear about this erstwhile tribute. Once again, when was the last time anybody has seen Dave in public? Ooh.
1: Okay, there was the VMAs in September.
0: We've right, we've covered this, but now we're right. I know. I mean, can you think of beyond that?
1: There was the audio of him announcing he's thrown in the shoes, which That's was following that, but that was just audio.
0: Um, I mean, scene hasn't showed up anywhere. No photos. Is he in Japan? Is he in Pasadena?
1: An interview that I may or may not have in the can doesn't. Uh, <laughs> Which we will have on an episode in the near future, if I can get the clearance to tell the full story of the Tokyo Story uh, short film that he made, according to the people I spoke with, if they will let me use it, Dave did not leave Japan the happiest camper in the world. So I, I would bet a fair amount of money he is not in Japan anytime soon.
0: I believe in the business they call that a tease. (laughs) <laughs> in some business.
1: <laughs> we also call it a please give me a verbal communication that you're fine uh, and consenting for us to use it for the DLR cast. Uh, fingers crossed on that. Can
0: one. we can we muffle a voice? Uh,
1: we'll see. We'll see what we can be done. but but the bottom line, uh, no pun intended there, is I'm pretty damn sure he's in Pasadena. I would think that's where his doctors are if he's getting medical care
0: for anything
1: or anything
0: COVID or whatever.
1: Yeah. I I just don't see him as being anywhere except Pasadena, but there's no way we can confirm it at this point. just know uh, everything is up in the air. And by the time we post this, uh, he could have emerged, (laughs) but we haven't physically seen him. Is it since the VMAs Joe Rogan was, Joe Rogan was before the VMAs.
0: Yeah. Cause it was summertime because he was, cause I remember Rogan was, was ripping on him for wearing that bizarre mechanics, thick wool, whatever that jumper was. Right. And yeah. it, he's in Texas.
1: Yeah. I don't know. He, he <laughs> always leaves us with more <laughs> questions than answers. Always. Always, and we'll see what his podiatrist says on uh, on the next episode of the DLR cast.
0: <laughs> Just the best,
1: <laughs> simply the best, like if- Tina Turner would say. But uh, hey, I-, I think I'm I'm out of air. Are you out of air?
0: I am too. Wanted to make sure we chat about this because the first thing I did when I saw this was was texting you with a big WTF. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> Well, stay tuned. Thanks for listening. Thanks for putting this all together, Steve. Uh, the voice of of the everyday working man, that's Steve Roth.
0: Uh, yeah, right. And let's not forget, too, if you uh, – and if you have a David Lee Roth <laughs> sighting or news, tweet us at the DLR cast or uh, shoot us an email at the DLRcast at Outlook.com.
1: Thanks for listening. Thanks, as always, Stephen Roth.
0: <laughs> not – Not with the caveat, I haven't mentioned my last name in ages, but as to the best of my knowledge, I'm pretty sure I'm not related to Dave in some, although I believe I did have an Uncle Manny in New York City. I'm um, Manny Roth. I'm not sure, however, if he owned the Cafe Juan. Pretty sure he did. I think my dad would have told me that uh, before he passed. Sometime, I, I think I would have learned at least something about that side of the family. Are you on 23
1: and me? Have you done that yet?
0: I'm on Ancestry, but here's here's a whole other podcast. I'm I, In all truth, I was actually adopted at birth. So anything with Ancestry.com, I found years ago, my, uh, outside of Ancestry.com, I found my biological mom. But on via Ancestry, I found my biological data a few years ago, which. I had no hope of ever finding because I am reasonably sure I was a one-night stand, and or the result of one. And uh, lo and behold, real quick, my biological dad, who who, who uh, passed uh, early last year from COVID, actually he was a uh, had been retired for a couple of decades, but he was a uh, character actor and voiceover guy for years. So when I was a kid, I saw him on Knots Landing, watching with my grandmother, or Dallas, and doing and doing the voiceover for all state commercials. Obviously. I had no idea it was him until 28 Who he was until 2018. Wow! So that was a that was a mind blowing story. I'll tell you offline sometime. Me, meeting him, so it was it was uh, it was very very cool.
1: Now that's so a teaser.
0: That's a teaser. <laughs> the Adoption Chronicles, a side pod, three part side a side podcast on the DLR. This is way too much information for people to know. So that for Ancestry.com, I've ne- I haven't pursued and he sort of built any trees or whatever they call it on there with um for non-biological families so
1: well, there we'll you have it figure of manny roth that manny roth is in the lineage and and that will be a hell of an episode if it is
0: <laughs> well i mean the last roth i know was my was my dad the guy who adopted me was my dad and he just passed in december and he wasn't he, he was an only child My grandfather had a lot of brothers and sisters, but they're all deceased on the Roth side. I couldn't. I would have to. It would be take some serious detective work to find all those folks, throughout between New York and Florida and some other place. I heard they ended up. So,
1: Hmm. all
0: New York City folks. But uh, it's kind of on a bucket list to try to figure out who these people were. Maybe
1: I can work on this for
0: you.
1: Maybe we have another project to work on. And it's not just the DLR cast. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm I'm willing to I'm willing to roll my sleeves up some more, my friend. So
1: Thanks and sorry as we say in this household. <laughs> <laughs> All right.
0: Well, thanks for downloading. Thanks for streaming. And uh stay tuned for more when we get it. And Jake Fawn is coming up.
1: First and foremost, you're a hell of a guitar player. Thank you, but- Thank you very much. I didn't know about you, unfortunately, until you joined the Roth Band. So, where did you come from? I know that's a very complex loaded
2: question. No, it's a very simple question in in my mind. Uh, I'm from the UK originally. Mm -hmm. um, And that's, you know, I've been living in the UK my entire life up until 2019, Mm -hmm. um, which is when I got my visa to come to sort of work and live in America. Um, It's an artist visa, so it's kind of like a temporary visa. I'm not a citizen here. I've been in LA ever since basically and that's kind of when I guess you know I got the Roth gig and my sort of career path changed a little bit because back when I was in England um, I went to university went to music school left that Mm -hmm. when I was 21 and as soon as I finished university I basically went straight into teaching at a music school and I also had my own event span where we would do like weddings and corporate gigs so I did that for like three or four years or so um, which was great you know I met loads of great players and learned loads of new things and styles and my craft. And, but it was, it was around that time when I realized that um, you can always teach and you can always play in those types of bands. There's never like an age limit kind of restriction. You can do that when you're mm-hmm. 60 years old. And a friend of mine who's a producer who I used to go to school with, who now lives in LA, hadn't seen him in a long time. He invited me to come to LA to stay at his house just to sort of like see what the scene is like. So I, I took him up on that offer like five or six years ago, just for a couple of weeks. Saw LA and I was like, wow, this is a pretty cool place. Mm-hmm. For a And then from then, I kind of every, every few months, I'd come back and forth on, on like a tourist visa just to meet people and everything. Did that for a few years. And then 2019, got my visa, came to L.A. and the rest is history. Been here ever since. So, yeah. When
1: you came to L.A. on that first trip, did you go to the cat in the fiddle or is that the second trip?
2: No, I didn't. I <laughs> um, my first trip. What did they do? I was here for a couple of weeks and it was more just hanging out than anything and doing more tourism stuff. And it wasn't yeah. until like the next year when I came back with more of an intention to meet people that I started to explore the scene and meet people and go to different jam nights and like the whiskey and the Viper yeah. Room and uh, the Rainbow and all these different kind of things and meet people and it's still good but because you know, LA is like such a huge city I've mm-hmm. barely scratched the surface of what was here and who to meet kind of thing so it, it was good to kind of get started in that way which meant that when i came here on my actual visa let me like, stay here i'd already had a bit of an understanding of where to go and people in town but even now there's there's so much i haven't done i, I always meet new people and like oh you know this person I'm like nope have you been to this gig nope you've been to this jam I'm like nope there's so many different pockets of scenes and there's like a rock scene there's like a jazz scene there's like an r&b scene there's like a country scene so there's still so much more to explore. Um, I still see myself very much as a newbie, um, so yeah. A- anytime I speak to somebody who's British,
1: but living in LA, i mm-hmm. like to find out, do you know about the secret Robbie Williams soccer game?
2: I don't know about this, but now you've mentioned
1: it, I'm interested. <laughs> what is this? Uh, I guess it's the kind of thing where he, <laughs> lived, he lives in LA to kind of escape superstardom. And he was having a soccer game at his house, I guess, every week or, you know, if he's not on the road. And a lot of other musicians were playing there. I don't know if Billy Duffy from The Cult was part of it, but I heard that Rod Stewart was in there Um. a little bit. I heard that Rivers Cuomo from Weezer, not from England, was part of it. So the Um. answer is no. But one day you'll be in that.
2: <laughs> I now that you've mentioned this, I'm gonna make it my goal to get involved and be invited to Robbie Williams soccer and that sounds very much like something that yeah, I would... A bit of one of those very surreal LA moments where like, oh look, there's Rod Stewart and there's Robbie Williams and his Rivers Cuomo and yeah. anyone else and we're just playing football together. But that stuff it, it does actually the funny thing is like that stuff does just happen out here. I'm um, in LA, like you find yeah. yourself like last week, a friend of mine hit me up at midnight for a gig the next day and he was like what are you doing tomorrow and I'm like I'm, I'm around you know whatever I'm doing not, not much, nothing interesting and he's like okay because Jamie Foxx wants us to play at his house yes. so I was like okay 12 hours later 12 hours later I'm at Jamie's house with a band I've never met before just jamming on some funk tunes playing for Jamie for his um, his alcohol company Brown Sugar Bourbon and I was like this is pretty interesting you know this is not how I saw my day going but that kind of stuff every now and then it does happen you just find yourself in these weird scenarios where you're like, how did this happen? But that's, you know, the benefits of living here and hanging around kind of thing. So, yeah. Wow. (laughs) So many
1: questions about that, but I'm not going to go there. What I want to know is as somebody who can shred tastefully, but chooses not to do it when they don't have to, was the long-term goal for you to be a singer-songwriter, a composer, or mm-hmm. is there not a defined goal or title for you?
2: It's a good question. Um, I would say my goal has probably changed a, a bit from, let's say, when I first picked up a guitar to five years later, to five years later, to now. Mm-hmm. I think as every kid, you know, I started playing when I was about 11 or 12 years old, and at that point, yeah, I wanted to be the guy who was playing stadiums, touring the world, playing rock music, ideally my own music, if possible, you know, so that was my goal when I was younger. And then the more I did this, when I started actually playing professionally with people, my goal kind of shifted and I thought, actually, it's probably quite hard to do that for a living. So I found myself doing more of like the teaching stuff and, you know, and then after I did that for a while, I was like, well, I really want to do this stress of my life because I can always do that and I enjoy teaching, but it's not the reason I picked up a guitar is to, to teach people to play because... Mm-hmm. I want to play for myself so that after a while I was like more focusing on being like a side man and just playing for people, gigs and everything and I did that for a while and then with my YouTube has always been something which I've had kind of in the background more of an outlet for me where I would put up my own music kind of to have that experience of being like a composer, an artist kind of thing but never really trying to do that because obviously being a guitarist writing mostly kind of instrumental music Mm -hmm. There's a very, there's not a huge market for that. And there's only so many people who want to listen to it, mostly going to be guitarists. So I always knew that I probably wasn't going to become like Steve Vai or someone because back in like the eighties, there probably was a big market for the shredder guitar solo career kind of thing. Nowadays it is out there. There are some great guitarists like Mateus Asato who are doing like the Instagram guys and the TikTok guys who are doing some really cool stuff. Um, Yeah. But it's probably isn't until maybe more recently in the past few years when I got back into YouTube again and putting my own music out that I realized well maybe there is some part in my future that I could do a bit more of like my own thing and I've got a few friends who have said there we should put on like a guitar night where we just do our own stuff and we jam on each other's songs and just be a bit more like you know do our own thing because that's one of the issues I've noticed being like a sideman for people is I love it I love playing with other people I love coming up with parts for people and recording and playing live but you're always playing other people's songs so you're always Mm -hmm. limited. Kind of their vision, which is fine. I'm happy to do that. And I love collaborating, but at the same time, you know, being a musician, you know, most musicians do want to create in some form or another. So that's what I do my YouTube stuff for, and it seems to be growing slowly. You know, I try to put out as much as I can, but it's it's quite hard to like write, record, produce, mix, video edit, and put it all out every couple yeah. of weeks. So sometimes I have lapses in how often I get to put stuff out, but every time I do it, I love writing and. My, my youtube following people like it and people say like are you going to put out an album soon or are you playing anywhere and i'm always like yeah, maybe in the future so maybe if i once i hit like 10,000 subscribers i'll maybe put a bit more time into actually making that a thing because then it'll indicate to me that there is a small audience maybe that wants to hear me do my own thing but yeah i'd say that um Definitely doing the solo artist thing would be cool, but it's as someone who's obviously been in the industry, I, I know how hard it is to do like a solo career and make it work. You have to put so much yeah. time and effort and energy all day long, every day you have to be on it, some form or another, whether it's creatively working or from a business perspective, managing yourself, branding, media, marketing, it's a whole thing to really become an artist. It's a very difficult thing. It's why not many people do it, you know, because it's, it's a hard thing to do. There's yeah, 10 different ways. <laughs> 10 different ways you could find
1: that kind of success. And you made an interesting point about how maybe in the 80s, it was easier to do the Steve Vai, Joe Satriani instrumental mm-hmm. route. Something I did mm-hmm. hear, though, is Brad Gillis from Night Ranger makes his money not so much from Night yeah. Ranger, but by making instrumental music that's in the background of sports highlights and video games and scoring. Yeah. On that. And, and yeah. what he's playing is yeah. not far off from the Vai stuff.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. Like, that's and, like the thing the interesting thing, like you just brought up about the industry is i think a lot of people who aren't in music think like oh you want to be a musician you're either you know a major artist touring the world or you're not but there's a right. whole spectrum of things one can do in this thing. and what yeah. you just said there the idea of um, music for tv for shows for games for commercials library music that's a big industry and a lot of you know money to be made there if you can be successful and you can game with the right people and you know I have friends who do that and that's how they make a living they just compose for tv and movies and they just sit at home all day writing and they get to have the luxury of you know just being in their own house and just writing music and that's it you know but they don't have to worry about the, the problems that come with maybe being famous you know and as glorious as that may be to some people it's also not so great to not be able to live a normal life you know so I think you know I have friends who are producers who you know they make a lot of money but no one really knows who they are so they get to just enjoy their fancy house and their Nice car and not worry about having people swap them all the time, you know, right. go down to a restaurant. So, um like Brad Gillis, yeah, yeah. it doesn't surprise me that people have, you know, because I think, you know, one thing that I think COVID taught us is that the, the live playing industry at any moment could be taken away from us just because, you know, if something comes up and stops us all from playing and shuts us down, then you have to have something else to do. And if you're a writer and a composer, then at least you can fall back on that and turn that into more of like a a way of making money so i'm trying to do a bit more of that like because i would love to do more writing and composing and have that actually be one of my main ways of making a living as well as the live stuff because i also noticed that the older you get you don't want to be playing necessarily till two in the morning when you're like 60 years old because you might be you know wanted to settle down and relax you know unless your last name is lucather then you do true then you just you know you live all day <laughs> albert lee as well same thing 70 years old yeah. playing all the time like man i hope yeah. i'm got that energy when I'm older but I started to notice already I, I quite like my own space so yeah
1: well you, you brought up COVID and it did actually interrupt the tour you were in the middle of you were playing with the Daily Roth band opening up for Kiss did you know how long that tour or that gig was going for or was it kind of week by week let's see where we're at
2: oh no I knew like from when I because I I knew from the start how long that was going to be and it was going to be the, all of 2020 was on the road basically it was going to be a, a great year we were supposed to do Um, from the end of January is when we flew out to the first show, which was on the East Coast in um, Allentown, Pennsylvania. I think that was the first show. And then we were going to do six weeks on the road with Kiss, kind of going around, you know, which we just about did. And then we were supposed to do a two-week Vegas residency straight after that. And then we were going to have a break from the tour. And then it was going to be more like David was going to do some of his own stuff without Kiss. So there was a whole bunch of festivals lined up. We were supposed to play um that's this one that metallica put on i can't remember what it's called but we we're supposed to play this thing that they put on there was another one that was more of like a pop one some big pop artists were going to play like billy eilish and i was like that's pretty cool if we get to be on the same bill wow. and then a few and then the tour was going to resume again in the summer which is going to be from like august until october another two months on the road and then at that point you know who knows that was that was the year's schedule and then we started obviously and we did six weeks right before we were supposed to go to Vegas and then COVID happened. Yeah, And at that, po- at that point we were like, okay, well, we have to stop the tour, fine, whatever. But we'll be two weeks and we we'll are back on the road again. Like we've still got our Vegas residency right. planned. And then like a week would go by and like, yeah, Vegas is still going. It's still on the site online. It's, you can buy tickets. Another week went by and okay, well, we're going to postpone that for like another couple of weeks. And as things went on, it was like, oh yeah, we're still going to go back out, but it's just going to be like, okay, maybe it's three months later. I'm like, okay, six months ago. We'll or oh, the end of the year, we'll go back out. The wow. start of next year and they just kept going back and back and back until eventually it was the start of 2021 when we got told like yeah david's probably not gonna come back at the moment it hasn't got any plans so unfortunately that's that um and by this point like a year had already come by so i was like okay i, I understand like i'm used to this now i'm kind of already doing some other things but if it comes back great because i, I had such a blast playing on those shows you know what guitarist wouldn't want to play van halen with david himself playing yes. arenas in america you know i was like cool you know pretty privileged to do that so um, it never quite came back and then there was talk of it coming back to this vegas residency just on new year's eve just gone and some more dates throughout like january i wasn't going to be part of that because they were using a different band lineup because when yeah. i did it i was only playing rhythm guitar and they had al estrada who was on lead he yeah. was like one of the best guitarists you'll ever hear he, he can nail Eddie like, like no one else oh but he's also, yeah he got like great. his own style so he's yeah. not yeah, he's not like an Eddie, he's not just like an Eddie clone. He's like, you can do Eddie and it sounds great, but he also does his own music and it's like fantastic. You can shred like Malmsteen, but he's also got this great bluesy feel. So Al was always the main guy, and I was coming in to replace someone else who was playing rhythm guitar, another fantastic guitarist, actually, a guy called Frankie Lindia, who yes. is also awesome. You know, So I, I was like, wow, I'm surrounded by all these great guitarists. I have to really step up my game now and make sure I can do this properly. But um, so I only ever came in to play rhythm and do the tour. Um, and then when that all kind of like disappeared, they were gonna go out again and do this Vegas residency, but just with one guitar, bass and drums, kind of more like the classic Van Halen lineup. Cause when I was on the road, there was two guitars, drums, bass and keyboards. So it was a big, bigger band. Oh, and, and before you, there was a period where there was three guitarists too. Yeah, that one yeah. changed a lot of times. It did, yeah, before because I, I came in like, right before the tour started. And when I was talking to the guys, like, oh yeah, we've been through so many different lineups. At one point they were backing singers and they had yes. no backing singers and they had like the whole band had changed every single member had changed just in the rehearsal period and they were all like we're not even sure if this is going to happen at one point and then it kind of fell into place i jumped in a few weeks before we went on the road and the rest is history we did a great six weeks on the road amazing you know playing with like a wall of marshall stacks you know all literally all turned up to 11 like this yeah, know, and that still wasn't loud enough you know apparently um but yeah so i got to do that and you know who knows what the future will bring like with david like he might go back out again like I hope he does because there's a lot of people who still obviously want to see him and hear him and so if, if he wants to go out again with the with the big band then great i'm, I'm looking, looking hopefully he'll bring me back in board you know i'm still friends with the band and everything and they're all in the same boat like we hope you know it goes ahead but you know we're having to, we're having to wait and see you know with covid you, you can't really predict longer than like a month in advance at the moment because you never know you know so yeah. yeah uh so you got to do about 20 gigs is it, uh, it was, Probably, I'm trying to think, maybe not that much, it was, we were playing maybe four or five shows a week for about six weeks, so yeah, maybe just around 20 shows we did, and yeah, they were great. Yeah, Yeah, those shows, it was
1: pretty much the hits and one or two deep cuts, did you know how to play all those songs before rehearsal, and the reason I ask that is because there's been like three or four different Roth lineups that had a two guitar approach to it. And yeah. I didn't know if it's the kind of thing where you go, oh, okay, I'll double this. Like, I didn't yeah. know if you were writing your own parts and that in a way has to be learned or you just go, oh, I know, I, I've been playing all these songs since I was
2: 12. Yeah, so the, the good news is I, being a fan of Van Halen, I, I knew a lot of them anyway. I didn't necessarily know how to play them. I just knew the songs just as a fan listening to them. Yeah. And I also knew a lot how to play just because I just learned how to play them. But for the most part, it was, here's the songs, here's the set list, go and learn them, you've got a couple of weeks, learn all the rhythm parts and try to be aware of the lead parts as well, because, you know, if anything happens, an illness, injury, someone's got to play the show. So it yeah. kind of helps, helps to be in that position that the show must go on, you know, that's the way that has to be. So I, I was mostly just learning the rhythm parts, um, which... Not, I wasn't given like a ton of guidance. It was like, you know the songs, go and learn them. And then we rehearsed for a couple of weeks. And there was like, some things we knew we were doubling, like some lead parts, like on the intro to Jamie's Crying, there's a lead that starts off. So I was doubling that with Al and like, Ain't Talking About Love, those kind of lead parts that he does. Um, I was doubling those as well. But for the most part, I was just on rhythm. And it wasn't too hard to work out you just listen to the songs. And you can hear pretty clearly what's going on. Like Van Halen were never like a huge, big production band with... Like like Def Leppard, where they have hundred guitar parts. Oh, yeah, also awesome. I, a huge fan of Def Leppard. Yeah, me too. Um, but Van Halen was much more old school. Very like you can hear everything. Just guitar-based drums is pretty much all it was. So that's why I was like, oh, it's interesting to bring on another guitarist because that was never really the Van Halen thing. But um, yeah, and I, and I we pretty much stuck to the record. Though we had a few parts where we would extend sections and where David would talk and change a few things. But for the most it was pretty much just the parts are as they are. They're already great parts they don't need anything to change about them because and also if you're a fan of Van Halen like you know the solos you know the riffs that's how it should be kind of thing so I just learned things as they were and if there's anything that needs to be changed you know we figured figure it out between myself and Al like he was like he really knows his Van Halen so simple things like like on um you really got me for example that riff um so for all the guitarists out there it's basically just like an A to G kind of do it. Mm-hmm. and i was playing like an a power chord in the open position and then going down just to the third fret g and he was like um once you go to the a back to the g don't go back to the a chord slide up to the fifth fret and play a single note so it's Dum, Dum, dun, dun, and move up to the fifth fret that makes sense just because he yeah. knew like very intricate details of how it was supposed to be played kind of how any would play it so there's only a few moments where like he would say yeah try playing it like this and blah 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 but for the most part it was just was kind of fairly self-explanatory is what i had to do that um, one i i never heard before i've heard that everyone
1: is playing unchained incorrectly so is more, that one of the other ones
2: well, how, how did people, what did you hear like how they played it because uh what, they,
1: they they have the riff mm-hmm. uh on the wrong part of the neck that they're doing it and they're also not hitting the open string correctly. It's not necessarily tuned correctly. It's just the kind of thing where the way that Eddie is playing it, it was actually easier than what everyone else was
2: trying to do. Okay, so with Unchained, yeah, that, that's a great riff and everything. Luckily, there was no real, like you're playing it wrong kind of thing. When I heard it, I was kind of just trying to play it as is and yeah. just checked a few YouTube tutorials to make sure I was playing it right. And then we rehearsed and it all sounded fine. So I was like, cool, no problem. But the way I would play it is you obviously pretty much all the Van Halen stuff was dropped half a step and then that was also dropped drop D tuning. So and actually I was using this guitar here, which um, I think actually might be a little bit damaged at the moment, but we'd have this um, one of these guys here, the ABHD tuner. So oh. um, we could be playing in standard and then we pull this guy out here and that would drop it to D. But the problem with because we had such when we were playing, our our set was so tight, 45 minutes that we didn't have time in between songs to kind of adjust, change guitars. So we played Panama straight into Unchained. And the issue we found with that was Al would start Unchained with the riff. But because with a guitar like this, it's got a Floyd Rose, which means the bridge is kind of floating. Mm -hmm. You drop it to D, the tension on the strings changes and then everything goes slightly out of tune so we always had this problem where the guitars would both <laughs> go a little bit out of tune from the moment that song started and we couldn't really do anything about it luckily it's not something which i think most people would care about but we always listen back to our recording yeah like, um, you, you have the a440 in your head so yeah yeah and then everything would shift slightly because we're dropping to d but i always played it um i guess you could play it a bunch of ways uh, i always just play it kind of like you know
1: Yeah, that, uh, that looks like what I saw on
2: the correct tutorial. <laughs> I hope so, I hope so. Um, I'm like, like most of us, I try to find the easiest way to play things because I don't want to give up a hard time, especially if have to play it again and again and not make mistakes. But I guess a lot, a lot of people would play it as a full chord and then do yeah. this. Which sounds cool, but I'm like, I want to make it easier. So I would often just play just the triad. I, know, I suppose sometimes it would change. I think we'd start the song maybe four chords. I can't remember what I did actually, but either way, it was um, it worked and um, <laughs> it worked. It worked yeah, and you not, can still you can still play them. Uh, the reason
1: I bring that up, there was a really great um, Steve Vai interview that came out in the last week or so. Steve Vai secretly taped all these interviews in November and December, mine included. So basically when the album was coming out, he would just be everywhere. Like that was a a brilliant thing, instead of having to do everything the week it came out. And one of the interviews, the person said, so uh, when you were going to reunite with Dave, uh, were you gonna play Going Crazy? And he's like, I haven't played Going Crazy in 30 years. Let me see if I know how to play it. And he did, but in your case, did you know how to play the solo Dave stuff, too? Or is it just Van Halen for the most part? And knew- just like Paradise.
2: <laughs> yes. So I knew I knew some of the solo stuff. My first introduction to, like, solo Dave of the Roth was actually from, like, 15 years ago on a game called Grand Theft Auto Vice City. I yeah, know, the game Yankee was- Rose. And one of the songs was Yankee Rose. And yeah. I was, like, I know, 12 years old when I heard that and just picked up the guitar. I was like, wow, that's really cool. The guitar's, like, talking and he's playing. is like nothing else to... Really, have heard because it's you know Steve i yeah. Um, so I was always a fan of David after that. And I bought one of his albums and I heard Jason Becker, another guitarist who played play with him I was like, wow, that's another incredible guitarist and everything. But, um, we only did a couple of like David's solo stuff, like Just Like Paradise, Tobacco Road. Um, what else did we do? Um, just the Gigolo and gigolo, California yeah. Girls, if you want to call yeah. those
1: Dave songs, and California Girls. Only we
2: played it once, I think, maybe. Um, all like great. Yeah, I think because after because I think David was wanted to mostly focus on like the early Van Halen stuff. I think just because that was more iconic. Yeah, um, I was like, let's put Yankee Rose in the set. It's a great song, and everyone was asking about it. But um, so I knew how to play a few of them. Um, and I can't remember what I was going to say, but um, yeah, with regards to like those songs, actually, like funny you mentioned like Stevie, because when when we did um, the Staples Center show, which is like the LA hometown show loads of like people came to the show, um, right. like other bands, artists and everything. And when we finished playing, we were walking around backstage and David's business manager was like running up to us, the band I was like, you know, wh- he was, and she was like, where's Ryan? Who's the bass player and MD? Yes. like, where's Ryan? Like, um, you know, car up and get him. Like Steve I is here. He wants to come and say hi to the band. And I was like, cool, let's, let's go say hi. And then she, she, with Steve I, she brings him over. Um, and Steve's like very nice, very humble. It's like, nice to meet you all kind of thing. And he was like he said to like the band like it's funny hearing like my own songs being played back to me and then he says to Al like the only thing is you're not supposed to play them better than me and then we laughing, like, you know, because he was very nice and like obviously yes. Steve Vai, like, no one's going to play anything better than him but at the same time it's, it's just fun to hear him say that and so that was a cool moment but um the funny thing about learning like the band healing the Eddie stuff versus the Steve Vai stuff is um with Steve Vai even though he's very Crazy and technical. His stuff actually makes sense. <laughs> um yeah. it, It's all it, all, it, it makes sense. Whereas Eddie Berkeley. Grad, uh, he knows yeah. he knows his music theory. Yeah, yeah. He, he got his career by like, transcribing Frank Zappa songs and submitting yeah. them, and that's how he got in the band. So when it comes to learning the Eddie stuff, it's a very different way of playing. Like Eddie is like sporadic and spontaneous and. Try learning some of his solos, like even the ones that aren't super flashy. It's just the timing and the phrasing, it just feels so hard to nail it note for note. Whereas Vi, it's like, oh, this, yeah, of course, it's really great written and it's all perfectly played. Yeah. But I find that stuff actually easier to learn, I guess, because that's how I typically maybe understand things. Whereas Eddie's stuff is like, oh, man, how am I supposed to play this? He's playing like this weird group thing. It doesn't make any sense, but it sounds amazing when you hear it. Um, And Eddie's feel as well, like people talk about his tapping and his lead playing and his tremolo stuff and all the flashy stuff, but people often forget like his rhythm playing is is probably the thing for me that really is the thing that sets him apart. Like the intro to like, I'm the one, that mm-hmm. swing and, that, and like pop the teacher, the feel, the swing. Yeah. He could like swing like no other rock guitarist. It's, also, he's, like, it's like he has a like a jazz musician's kind of mindset into like a crazy rock guitarist. So learning his stuff was always a fun challenge and still is, you know, trying to copy how Eddie plays is very difficult. Next, yeah, so with yeah. with mm-hmm. knowing a lot of the material, but also
1: digging a back, uh, digging back into it, and learning about Yankee Rose from Grand Theft Auto, yeah. what do you think about the Spanish language version of Yankee Rose from the yeah, Sonrisa Salvaje album?
2: Yeah, I haven't actually heard all that album, but I remember when did I first hear that he did? this? I think it was on tour. I found out that he'd done everything in Spanish, and I was, that's interesting, kind of cool. I guess he's appealing to a whole new market. Which, if you're in America, you know, especially in LA basically everyone here speaks spanish so i think it's cool um i should probably go and listen some more and just see what it sounds like but um the whole thing is on spotify don't you worry okay i'm gonna go and check that out but um yeah it's funny because i guess not many i'm trying to think any how many other bands or artists have done that but they've recorded everything in another language you know which is an interesting thing to do you know
1: if you really, really, really want to go down a wormhole, you'll find Motown songs recorded in a, uh, recorded in Italian. You'll find mm. David Bowie songs recorded in Japanese. Everyone kind of did it, even the Beatles yeah. did. It's just yeah. a question of whether they survived Spotify copyrights.
2: Yes, yeah, that's true. No, I've definitely heard like alternate versions of songs that had to change lyrics out, and um, even some other ones that talk about like the copyright thing, mentioning like products in their songs, like saying like. Um, <laughs> What Was that song was it by the Kinks? Um, "Lola," um, yeah, like, "Cherry Cola." Yeah, like "Cherry Cola." They had to, they had yeah. to change that because they used the word "cola" or something. So that was there's lots of those funny moments in like music history where these things that you would never think about until you kind of learn a story. And there's a whole backstory as to why things are the way they are, and it's kind of interesting. It's just like you know, yeah, yeah. I, I think Ray Davies' stories had to fly
1: back to the U.S. Yeah. just to record that one word again like the uh, transatlantic flight just for that one word being a product placement
2: yeah yeah and nowadays it's just like oh i've I've got my home studio at home with like exactly my 300 setup i can just redo it send off um, job done in like 15 minutes back then it was like i have to fly all the way to another country and go to the studio and it's it's interesting how music has changed the efficiency of the getting the job done yeah
1: yeah So so, uh, so, back to the Dave tour before I would just let you plug your stuff and I let you go on your way. You know, the word is that the band was tight as ever. The receptions were really good at the Kiss shows. I saw two of the early ones in Vegas in January 2020 when when Frankie was in the band. So unfortunately, I haven't gotten to see you play the lineup yet one day. One day. Uh, you know, it sounded like everyone was happy. Everyone was well rehearsed. Mm-hmm. The band got along perfectly, and if you look on Instagram, the band is still talking all the time. Everyone's friends with everybody.
2: Yeah, we're, we're all the, that's, yeah, that's one of the good things, and I think that's a big part of why some people, not some, but why a lot of people get gigs is, number one, obviously, you have to be able to play and do the job, right? And everyone has to do that. But most of the time, like on a tour or a gig, you're not actually playing. You're or you're traveling, you're on the hotel, you're right. eating, sleeping. So only like 10% of your... Workday is performing, the rest of it is you're with musicians, so you have to be friends with everyone, you have to get along. Um, so we're all good friends. I remember like when I went to do the audition, audition back in December of end of 2019, it's very like played three songs. Um, you know, obviously the whole band were there, David wasn't there. Um, we did Jamie's Crying, um, You Really Got Me, and um, something else, I can't remember. Anyway, we played those three songs, it was very quick, done. Ryan, the MD was like great thanks for coming we'll let you know in a week and then a week later he phones me up I was watching Batman at like 11pm he was like yo so do you want to come be in the band and I was like sounds good <laughs> and then he was like after that he was like you know just want to say like thank you for being like a normal person because he had so many people audition who were just like weird or didn't learn the material and you know the same thing like when you're on the road most of the time you just have to hang out and be fun to be around because that's what you're doing most of the time so we're all still good friends it was Ryan's birthday a week or so ago and went bowling with him and still keep in touch. And the rest of the guys as well, they're all cool people. And, you know, it's also important to maintain that relationship because we're all doing other things as well as the rough gig. And we all need other people. Like I, you need a bass player, you need a drummer, you need somebody who can write, compose and produce. It's important to keep these people around because you can you can work with each other and others in So, you know, it, it's, all, it's all beneficial to, you know.
1: Something you just said blew my mind right there, you, said, you mentioned Ryan's birthday and bowling. And I know that Musselman, a uh, former drummer, yeah. big bowling guy, I learned about that yeah. from interviewing him. So <laughs> apparently there's a big bowling undercurrent in Dave Lee Roth's Sidemen. But when I interviewed Ron Wixso, Dave's drummer for a tour in the mid 90s, how mm-hmm. did he get the gig? He knew somebody who knew somebody from a softball league. So I guess the 80s L.A. scene
2: was softball
1: and now the yeah. 2010s, 2020s David Lee Roth scene is bowling.
2: I guess so. Yeah, I remember we went bowling once or twice when we were on the road, one of our evenings off. And, you know, none of us, I would say, are particularly great at bowling. You know, we, you know, I think we should try, but, you know, it's more of a fun activity. But, yeah, it's, you know, part of the gig, you know, You've got to go bowling, you know. But, yeah, it's, um, yeah, so we're all, we're all still good friends and, you know, hopefully – I'm trying to have we, yeah. I mean, even Ryan played on one of my YouTube songs right at the start of COVID when everything locked down, and I was like, all right, I'm just gonna get back to my YouTube. And Ryan played bass on one of them, and you know, I'd love to do more stuff with all the bands. You know, Francis on drums is great, and Danny, obviously, on keys was, you know, they're all, they're all cool people. And you know, I'd love to do more stuff with Al because it's very rare outside of like a rock gig to do a gig with two guitarists on the same lineup. Usually it's, you know, one guitarist and Kind of yeah. in the back, especially for like the pop and the R&B stuff, but the rock show, it's, it's great to have two guitarists. So I hope we get to do more stuff together again. I hope it's with David because that's obviously like the dream lineup. Um, and we were great. Like the band, we rehearsed solidly and it was all lots of fun and I love playing the songs and people seem to like it. So, you know, hopefully more will come from it. But, you know, and, who knows. For people who follow you on Instagram,
1: you performed at an Eddie related jam tribute night last week, yep. which... Which Frankie, I
2: believe, was on as well. He was there. Yeah, that was cool. Like, we tried to, um, because it was the ultimate jam night in the whiskey, which used to be every Tuesday before COVID. COVID shut it down. And then they just did the second one last week. And now they're kind of doing it every two weeks. And last week's theme was um, Eddie Van Halen. So it was all Van Halen songs, guitarist dream. Everyone there was like super good. Um, Frankie was there as part of the house band. Loads of other, there's a few other people there who played with David or some kind of Van Halen context, Van Halen tributes, whatever it may be. Um, yeah. I played there. And yeah, so all Van Halen songs. And I had, what did I do? Um, I did Ain't Talking About Love, which was great. And I had my girlfriend, who's a s- fantastic singer. Um, her name is Adiago Lazzi. She's you know, a great rock singer. And we did the song. And I also did um, Somebody Get Me a Doctor, which was with uh, Michael Starr um, from Steel Panther. So that wow, was cool. for
1: Michael, whatever you want to call him, uh, one of the
2: best singers possible absolutely um yeah. so that was cool the <laughs> funny things I remember like before, when I arrived we were backstage at mm. the whiskey and Ralph was just walking around saying hi to people and I was like oh hey Ralph like well Michael I'm looking looking forward to playing with you I'm-, I'm on your song and I was telling him like there's a funny story that when when we played the Staples Center um and we were on stage and the front kind of rose on either side you have these like VIP cages where like I guess high right. profile people and people pay a lot of money come to and we were playing Panama and I was just watching the crowd and there was this guy over on the left, like rocking out with the cap on, like singing all the words. And I was like, Yeah, that guy's into it. It's cool. And he takes off his cap and it's like, oh, it's Michael Starr. It's still in Joe Panther. it's just like grooving along with a fan. I'm like, yes, that's cool. And I was trying to throw guitar picks to him. I think I probably didn't get anything off the stage, but um I told him that and he was like, Yeah, cool, throw some more picks of me on stage, you know, I appreciate it. And then we went out and we played, and yeah, it was great. So it's funny to actually play with him, you know, do even as just one song, it was a lot of fun. He's a great guy and great performer, great singer and
1: and was supposed to fill in for that all-star reunion reunion that didn't happen of van halen before dave agreed to it it was supposed to be ralph up there on stage playing with sheen Bissonette and duggle so yeah
2: yeah yeah. the ultimate understudy for dave yeah exactly yeah yeah so it was it was a great pleasure to play with him and Maybe we'll get to do it again sometime. They, they did try to get Michael Anthony to come along to that jam, actually, but his, I think his daughter was sick, so last minute he couldn't make it. But that would have been pretty cool to have sort of, if I got the chance to play with Michael, that would have been a, a, you know, one more member of Van Halen that I've played with, you know. Then it's Alex, the last one, you know. But yeah, it was good fun. So that's the, you yeah. know.
1: Exactly. Well, hey, you've been so generous with your time. Please you. tell me and anybody mm-hmm. who's going to hear this, et cetera, the mm-hmm. best places to follow you and look for yeah. the new music from Mr. Jake Fawn online?
2: So I'm most active on my kind of day to day stuff on Instagram, which is just at Jake Fawn Music, J A K E F A U N Music. If you go on there, that's where I usually upload my just clips of what I'm doing, stories. YouTube is where I do more of like my stuff, which is a bit more like full length songs, more of like my own music and the occasional cover. Mm-hmm. And that is. What, um, you type my name into YouTube and you'll find me. It's just Jake Fawn. Um I have a Facebook page, which is more just friends, family, whatever, and posting stuff. Again, type my name in Jake Fawn, you'll find me. But those are the three places I'm most active. I do have one sort of compilation on Spotify as well, which is more of like my country guitar stuff. Again, if you type my name Jake Fawn into Spotify, you can find that. Um, I do want to put more stuff on Spotify because it's or, or Apple Music, any of these places, because it's another outlet for my own music. But mm-hmm. uh, Instagram and YouTube are probably the main places to get me. And if you just type in my name, you'll you'll find me. So yeah.